0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to have you with us here. Those joining us in person, we welcome you and certainly welcome all those joining us by way of our broadcast this morning. So thankful to have you with us here at Grace Crossing Church. Now, we are in a series we began two weekends ago entitled Equipped, and just by way of reminder. Uh, In this series, we are talking about the fact that in Christ, we have been fully equipped to step into the arena and to meet the demands of life in God's mighty power. And that's the big idea, really, of this entire series, this overarching theme that we're looking at out of the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And remember, I want to remind you that Ephesians chapter 6, the focus is not the equipment, The focus of Ephesians 6 is on the equipping, the fact that we have already been equipped. And yet Paul then begins to unpack some of the different pieces of equipment that we have been given in Christ to be strong and in Christ to stand firm. This morning we're going to move into that as we continue our series by way of a friend who's coming today. I'm so thankful to have with us uh, Randy Young. His wife, Becky, is here as well. Can we welcome Becky uh, this morning? Thank you for being with us. These are dear friends who uh, go back 30-plus years. Randy, we're getting old. Um, But uh, I I was a youth pastor in Cleveland when Randy actually and his wife, Becky, planted a church and pioneered a church right in the heart of Cleveland that I would say was a church on the margins, and it was a church on the margins in the sense that it was a church that was intended from the very beginning to be culturally relevant to penetrate right into the heart of Cleveland. It was a church that was ethnically diverse. The intention was to be a collective body of people that were representing every tribe, tongue and nation. And it was a kingdom-minded church. And I and I can tell you this about the youngs, they are kingdom trailblazers. They are kingdom pioneers. They love what God's doing in his kingdom. And uh, their ministry has been very vast because of that. They left the church there and became part of a missions organization for five years. And then uh, in the providence of God, they planted and pioneered and founded a group called the Agora Group, which is all about raising up leaders uh, to go into indigenous places and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, into those places, many where the gospel has not yet been preached. And so, uh, so thrilled to have Randy with us this morning. And before he comes... I wanna just remind us of the prayer that we're praying in this series. We're actually joining the words of Paul and praying the prayer of Paul. In Ephesians chapter one, when Paul prayed, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the incomparably great power to us who believe. The only way we have any hopes of metabolizing the depth and the riches of what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 is for God to do a gift in grace of opening our hearts, the eyes of our understanding. So would you join me this morning, and can I have you stand one more time with me? And I'm gonna pray, and then once I'm finished praying, I want you to put your hands together Uh, as soon as I say amen, and we're gonna welcome Randy Young to come. But let's pray, and let's lift uh, today's uh, message to, to God. Father, we thank you that you have a word for us here today. As I've reminded this body before, the Holy Spirit is our teacher regardless of who the communicator is. So today we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come, to open the eyes of our understanding, to give us insight into the truth of your word, to help our hearts to become emboldened at what we have been given in Christ Jesus, the power, the incomparably great power to us who believe. We ask you, God, to do that today and to speak to us by the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you welcome Randy as he comes to speak?
0: Well, good morning, Grace Crossing. It is great to be back again. Pastor Gill. thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of this series. Uh, Ephesians 6, I would say I've been, I've been living in this for months now. There's just something that God's been doing in me. And this sense of equipping and being equipped and the full armor of God and stepping into the arena is something that is, uh, is really on my heart. So we're getting into equipped again. All right, week number three—is that right? Fantastic. So uh, let, let me begin this way. Um, imagine you come home late at night. You have been—you've um, uh, been out, and as you come home, you pull in the driveway, and um, and inside your dark house, you see a light going on. You realize somebody's in there with a flashlight, and this can't be good. You realize that there must be a thief or a robber on the inside, so immediately there you, draw, you, you, you dial 911, and before you know it, the house is surrounded with law enforcement. I mean, they completely ring your house, and you think, man, this is going to be good. And, uh, and as, as they surround your house, and you're ready for them to go and, and take charge and to evict and apprehend whoever's inside suddenly they begin to look at one another and they're, they're comparing their weapons with each other and, and they are um, admiring each other's weapons and, and they're showing off their weapons and maybe they even begin to start singing about their weapons, all right? And you're thinking, what, what's going on here? What, what's taking place? And how frustrating it is is that they have been equipped to engage. They have been authorized to engage. They have superior weapons in this moment, but they're doing everything but engaging, As followers of Jesus, Ephesians chapter six, Paul tells us we have been equipped. We know that our weapons are powerful. He tells the Corinthians church, your weapons are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. Friends, what's a stronghold? A stronghold that is anything that's contrary to the word and ways of God that we feel powerless to do anything about. When we know something's not God, not his ways and not his intention, but we feel powerful to do, powerless to do something about that. That's a stronghold. And, and, and Paul says, the weapons you have are powerful. They pull down strongholds. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, as we move forward in this study, all right? Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so when the evil day comes, the day of evil comes, be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, With the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for the Lord's people, all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says. I, I find this interesting. This is a missionary requesting prayer from a supporting church. I can identify with that. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I might fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I should declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. Amen. Imagine those policemen surrounding that house with everything they need provided for and equipped for all to make everything right in that situation and yet not using their weapons one bit. And how much we as the church are tempted in the same way to talk about our weapons, to preach about our weapons, to sing about our weapons, to do everything but utilize those weapons Paul says, as followers of Jesus, Ephesians 6, we have been equipped, the weapons are power, powerful, and we are authorized. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And at the cross, Jesus recovered that authority. He seized the keys, isn't that right? To death, hell, and the grave. He, he is the keeper, now the keys. And the last words uttered as he died on the cross was, It is finished. In the Greek language, to telesti, a legal term which means paid in full. It is all taken care of. The authority of the enemy has been crushed. It is all back in my hands. And he passes that authority onto you and I. He passes that authority on to the church. And according to Ephesians 2, we are now seated. Past tense. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ far above all these Ephesians 6 principalities and powers that Paul is talking about here in this passage. And this is really important. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, heaven, my, our citizenship is in heaven. Can somebody say amen to that? Our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that right? That, that, is, uh, that is where you and I are seated. I, I, I live out my life on earth, This is where my assignment is. I'm seated in heaven. I live out my life on earth. And right here in the middle, in the unseen realm, is our battlefield. This is where we wrestle. And it is important to recognize we are already seated in heavenly places, past tense, because it's really important to fight this fight from a superior position, it's really important to be on top, to have, to have the high ground. This is where I'm seated. This on earth is where, catch this, I love and serve people. Because Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. We love and serve people here, and we fight in the unseen realm. If we're not fighting where we're supposed to fight, guess where we fight? Flesh and blood. We love and serve here and we fight here. Now, it was uh, during World War II that Hitler launched Operation Sea Lion. That was code for the Battle of Britain, for the invasion of Britain. And night after night, massive formations of bombers accompanied by fighter escorts would move across the British Channel toward England. And the Royal Air Force, vastly outnumbered with their Spitfire planes, uh, but it was crucial because the fate of the nation was in their hands. And as soon as the enemy was detected by radar moving across the channel, the word would go out, scramble, scramble. And immediately as they heard the word scramble, it was a desperate mad dash to get off the ground, to get into the air and move high above to a loftier position, a position of advantage above the invading airplanes. That fight saved the nation. And it could be said that Britain was never invaded on earth or on the ground because the battle and the work was already accomplished in the heavenlies. German soldiers never set foot on British soil because the battle was already taken care of in the heavenly places. Because we share a seat with him he has delegated his authority to us. I'm gonna say that again. Because we share a seat with him, he has delegated his authority to us. And it's so important that if we're going to engage in this battle, if we're gonna prove the weapons of our warfare powerful, if we're gonna take on this full armor of God, that we first know who we are in Christ. He's delegated his authority to us and we have instant altitude through Jesus Christ. So first, he, Paul uh, challenges, challenges us with the thought that we, we are wrestling. We are to wrestle. We are equipped, verses 10 through 13, to engage the enemy. And that wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, world forces, literally territory, from a hierarchy that Paul describes in the opposition kingdom, and a hierarchy that moves from territorial princes down to demons that regularly tempt and challenge us. We catch a glimpse of this in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel is praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's getting no answer. And the Bible says for 21 days, this prayer battle goes on. And one day, the angel Michael shows up and says, Daniel, your, your prayer was heard day one in heaven, but for the last 21 days, I have been battling the Prince of Persia, no, that's not a video game, all right? <laughs> it's a real, I, I was battling the Prince of Persia to break through, to bring you your answer. Principalities, powers, world forces, we're seated, where? We're seated far above. We're fighting who? Our engagement is with principalities and powers, not with people. And, and Paul says, wrestle. And that word goes so far beyond jostle. Wrestle has to do with taking your opponent and pinning them to the mat. We're to stand firm, Paul says. Literally be the last man standing in the arena. So it's not just to stand your ground, but to put your foot on the neck of your enemy. In fact, this word stand firm, it's interesting in the Greek, the word is antihistamide, from which we get antihistamines. This word stand firm literally means to render an effective or to reject invasion, just like antihistamines help reject the invasion into our bodies. So we're to stand firm, to put our foot on the neck of our enemy. Colossians 2.15 reminds us that these powers were already defeated by Jesus at the cross, that the enemy has been stripped and defeated, that Jesus has made an open show of them. So this is important. And this is something I am trying to grow in my understanding of, that today we fight not for victory, we fight from victory. And what does that mean? We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory because the victory has already been won by Christ at the cross. We stand in his righteousness, we stand in his provision, we stand in his equipment, we stand with his spirit, and we fight from victory. Secondly, we are equipped and authorized to repel and extinguish his attacks, verses 14 through 17. We're equipped with this full armor, but verse 14, the first two pieces of this this armor are really key, and we target, we zero in on those today. I wonder if the Apostle Paul, as he's uh, describing the armor, the full armor of Ephesians 6, if he's looking over at the guy next to him. The soldier he's chained to, as he is in prison and probably chained at the wrist to a Roman guard. I am wondering if he's eyeballing this guy, looking at all his equipment, and, and he's inspired by the spirit to pen the words of the full armor of God. And the first two are key. The first one he talks about is, is the belt of truth. And what makes this belt of truth so important is that it's the belt of truth that holds all of our armor together the importance of truth in our lives jesus is the truth his word is truth and and it's not just understanding the truth but it's our adherence to the truth it's our loyalty to the truth it's our integrity that flows out of embracing the truth of who jesus is and the truth of his word it's the adherence loyalty and integrity that holds all of this protective gear together let's be people of truth Let's be people of integrity because that is what causes our armor to function properly. We can't be people of selective integrity or partial integrity. We can't be people who ignore the voice of the spirit bringing truth to our hearts and say, let's save that for another day and expect all this armor to function well for us. The belt of truth holds everything together. The second that Paul describes is the breastplate of righteousness. And it's his righteousness, not mine, isn't that right? He's all my righteousness. I I stand complete in him. We stand complete in him. And his righteousness guards our heart, but it's not just our positional righteousness in Christ. It is you and I growing in righteousness every day looking a little bit more like Jesus every day, growing in purity, growing in holiness, growing in righteousness. Paul would write to young Timothy, Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, we're to grow in righteousness and we are to pursue righteousness. Because as righteousness grows in our life and as we become more and more people of righteousness, that righteousness grows integrity. And that righteousness grows in character and our protection grows as we grow in righteousness. Belt and and breastplate, that's easy for me to say, belt and breastplate are protective armor and belt and breastplate, they guard our core. And how many of you have heard athletic trainers talk about how important the core is? The core is everything, isn't that right? I mean, I'm recently coming off meniscus tear, knee surgery, all right? And, and, and my physical therapist keeps saying, I wanna help you function on your core. Keep, let's function on your core. Because as the core goes, it's good for your knees. It, the core is, is everything. And belt and breastplate, they protect our core. They're key to everything. It was, it was John Bunyan in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. What a great book. He, he reminds us when, when pilgrim... Is fitted for his armor at House Beautiful. John Bunyan reminds us that breastplate and belt protect the core, but there is no back protection corresponding to what's here in the front. There, there's no back protection, which means, folks, as we are in this battle, we can't turn back. We can't be ostriches that just burrow our head in the sand and pretend it'll all go away. The minute we said yes to Jesus, we became involved in the battle. So we must stand, we must engage, we must endure. And once the belt and breastplate are in place, with truth and righteousness secure, we can move forward with the shoes and the shield and the sword. And we can fight from that place of victory, not for victory. Because Jesus has already won the victory and you and I are seated to him. And we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me ask you today, how's your armor? How's your fitting? Belt and breastplate, shoes, shield, sword, helmet. I just had this conviction that the more aware I am every day of my armor, the more confident I'm going to be in the battle. So when we moved back from Florida 10 years ago, where we were based out of doing mission work all over the world to launch the Agora Group. Um, and we were staying in this little missionary house that was loaned to us for a year in the Cleveland area. And my, my first thought, not my first thought, but one of my thoughts is, okay, I'm back in Ohio. And Alicia, you're right. You know, it's like, it's just March. Let's not get fooled by a 60 degree day. Try Cleveland, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Uh, and I'm thinking, it's winter time. How how am I going to exercise? How am I going to how, how am I going to get after this? All right, and and um, I bought one of those little rebounders. You know, like the little thirty-six inch circular tramp. You know what I'm talking about? Little trampolines. And I put it in our back room. And it was twofold. It was for exercise and it was for intercession because I'm a multitasker. All right. So so here I am. I'm running in place. I'm doing jumping jacks. I called it my circle of surrender, because I'm surrendering personally every day to the Lord, and and my body's going through a workout. A circle of surrender. And the interesting thing was was that right across from my my rebounder was this big hutch that we had. And on this big hutch, I had about 25 of my collectible bobbleheads from baseball, basketball, and football. And as I was on this rebounder, all these bobbleheads would be just, they'd they'd just be like cheering me on and agreeing with me and say, go for it, Randy. I mean, I had my own personal cheering section (laughs) with all these bobbleheads. But all the while, I'm praying the words of Jesus, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven every day. And as I'm praying, I'm putting on the, the whole armor of God. And in my mind, belt, breastplate, helmet, shoes, gospel of peace, shield and sword. And my prayer is a very simple one that I engage in quite a bit to this day. As I'm on this rebounder, it's like I draw in my mind an imaginary circle around my feet. My prayer is, Lord, equipped in the armor that you've given me, nobody but Jesus today is gonna rule and reign in this circle. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done with everything that's inside that circle. And that was me. And it may seem kind of weird to start your day by praying for yourself, but if this isn't in line, come on, what good can I be for anybody else? And as I was praying that, I would then expand that circle. And in my mind's eye, Becky would join me in that circle. Nobody but Jesus is gonna rule and reign in this circle in our marriage. And then one by one, I would add our kids. Nobody but Jesus is gonna rule and reign in my family today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, Lord, with everything that's inside that circle. And then I I would move on to church and city and nations. I was equipped by the Lord. I was engaged in battle and wrestling. And I was standing against and extinguishing the enemy. My friends, we are equipped to engage. We are called to wrestle. We are equipped to withstand and extinguish his attacks. And we are equipped to expand and advance his kingdom. And this is the latter part of this passage with verses 18 through 20. And Paul would say, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. And he's saying, pray for me. Again, that frontline missionary appealing to ascending church. Pray for me that I might be able to advance this gospel. And there's this image I have in my mind of God's work being done among the nations. And... I can't get off on too many rabbit trails, I know. <laughs> but but you know what? I, I see God working through history, and one of the great revolutionary moments in the church was way back when the Gutenberg Press was developed and Bibles could finally be printed, and the word of God was restored to the people of God because they could read it in their own language. What a moment to have the word of God restored to the people of God. A transit tra- transformational moment in the life of the church, and we move into the 60s and 70s, and Pastor Gill, suddenly we're talking about spiritual gifts in every member ministry. And it's not just the word of God being restored to the people of God, but in that hour we begin to say, let's restore the ministry of God to the people of God. It's just not up to the pastor to do all the work. Discover your gifts, get engaged, find your place in the body, find a place of service. What a revolutionary moment in the life of the church. And I see, I see, the next revolution, I believe, where God wants to restore the mission of the church to the people of the church. And it sitters around this arena of prayer. And in my mind, I see, I see an image of that World War II poster of Rosie the Riveter. And as our fighting boys were on the front lines, in the Pacific and in Europe, the factories are flooded with women in automobile factories turned into tank factories and aircraft factories and everything and, and in our country it was all hands on deck if we're, if we're going to win this battle it's not just going to be the people on the front lines everybody has an equal share everybody has equal responsibility, and the whole nation rose up to win the victory. I believe God is wanting to restore the mission of God to the people of God again, and one of the ways we do that is on our knees in prayer so Paul says pray for me, as I advance the gospel, and in Ephesians chapter 6, becomes a call to go on the offensive. Our weapons do pull down strongholds, and Paul specifically endorses prayer as we stand in our armor, and, and in this place of prayer, I, I think of the words of S.D. Gordon, a missionary statesman of over 100 years ago where he said, all the fruit of mission and evangelism are merely the gathering up of results, first one in prayer. And I believe that. Who in your circle of influence needs to experience the Lord's salvation? That's an issue of prayer first. Who in your circle of influence, or maybe in your own life or your own household, you're facing a stronghold, something that does not align with the ways and will of God, but you feel powerless to do anything else. Anything about that, that becomes, first, an issue of prayer. And I'm wondering, as the Ephesian church first read these verses, as Paul was talking about the armor, you know what, I think they read it, and I think they got it right away. Because before they read this letter that Paul writes back to them, they watched Paul firsthand. They, they had already seen it. They, they had seen the miracles as Paul came to Ephesus. Even the handkerchiefs or the work rags that Paul used laying on people brought healing. Um, they saw that diseases left bodies. They saw evil spirits go out, deliverance, the burning of a pile of sorcery books to break the chains of demonic activity. This is where Ephesus was where the seven sons of Sceva thought the name of Jesus was like a lucky rabbit's foot. In the name of Jesus, they tried to cast the demon out. And these seven sons of Sceva become the first streakers in the word of God as they are beaten and stripped of all their clothes and they're set on the run. But, but the Ephesian church saw all this stuff firsthand and they saw Paul himself operating in the armor from a place of victory as he was encouraging them to do with belt and breastplate in place, equipped and authorized to pray, we advanced the kingdom of God. I have a, I have an old friend going back quite a few years. I haven't seen him for a long time. His name's George Otis Jr. His father, George Otis Sr., one of the great missionary movers and sakers in the 20th century. George is an old y And George is a researcher by heart. Uh, He was the one, uh, oh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that put together, I don't know if you ever saw the Transformations videos. If you haven't, look them up online. Because he would go to parts of the world where God, by his spirit, was significantly moving and and revival was breaking out. And he he would record that for just thrilling, thrilling stories. And George... A few years ago was lecturing in Paris at a gathering of churches, and while he was there, he heard of a of an Algerian fishing village right on the in, in the Muslim nation of Algeria, right on the Mediterranean Sea that this little fishing village overnight the the entire village converted to christ and George, being george said "I got to get down that's what he did he, he got down there to see what was going on and and he found out that it was true that All these people in this village on the same night had a dream and a vision of Jesus. And the next morning they got up and as they compared notes, they realized they had the same dream. They said, this is God, Jesus is Lord, and the whole village converted. Well, a few months after that, George was at a conference of missions, a missions conference and gathering in New York City. And he was telling this story and afterwards, telling this story, he said, um, a man walked up to me afterwards and said, um, um, where was that village? What was the name of that village? And when, when did this take place? And George told him the name of the village and exactly when it had taken place. And that man said, let me tell you the rest of the story. Then he said, I'm a, professor at a Christian college and I felt a burden to lead a team of collegians in strategic intercession to that very town. He says, because that town is the place where the European Raymond Lowell became the first martyr to the Muslim world. And he said, I felt stirred in my spirit to put together a team and go kneel in the exact place where Raymond Lowell laid down his life for the cause of Christ. And day after day in that place, we prayed, God, don't let the sacrifice of this life be in vain. Move by your spirit in this place. And that, my friends, is exactly what happened as they went in the full armor of God and prayed for God to move. That was 1314. Raymond Law was 84 years old when he laid down his life for Christ. Friends, we are equipped. Our armor is true. Our weapons are powerful. And you and I are authorized. We are authorized by heaven itself. So it was a little bit over a year ago that I woke up early one morning and in my head, I immediately heard these words, and I knew it was the Lord I, this doesn't happen often, but I sensed the Lord saying to me in that moment, "I want you to start your day in heaven." I lay there thinking, god what do you what do you mean? what are you saying what start my day in heaven what what does that mean?" And my mind began to go through scriptures and thoughts of what that might mean, and I came back to Ephesians chapter one, where jesus is seated in heavenly places with all authority, principalities, and powers under his feet. Go on to Ephesians chapter two, that you and I, the church, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I began to think about what it meant, seated, past tense, done deal, we're already there. Lord, what does this mean? What are you trying to say? And I got to thinking, heaven is a place of perfect peace. And since the Lord's saying, start your day in my perfect peace instead of your anxiousness. How many of us wake up and the first thing in the morning, our to-do list starts going through our brain? Huh? First thing in the morning, the challenges we're going to face that day. No, the Lord was saying, start your day in heaven because Heaven is a place of perfect peace. And I want you to experience my peace before you start your day because I want you to, here's those Ephesians 6 shoes, I want you to walk my peace into every situation you face today. And I got to thinking, not only is heaven a place of perfect peace, heaven heaven is a place of um, clear perspective. (laughs) On earth, I still see through a glass darkly at best. How about you? But I sense the Lord saying, start your day and ask me for heaven's perspective on what you're gonna face today. Ask me for clear perspective and clear understanding as you walk out your day. So heaven was a place of perfect peace. Heaven was a place of clear perspective. But heaven, I thought, realized was also a place of ultimate power and ultimate authority. Nothing gets challenged in heaven It is a place of ultimate authority. And I thought, Lord, I want to start my day saying, God, let me walk out this day in the authority that you've given me in Christ. Because I am authorized. Moses got his authority to burning bush, folks. We got ours at a cross. And we are authorized to walk out our day in the full armor of God, equipped and ready to deal with everything that comes our way, not in our strength, but in his. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Peace, perspective, and power. Ready to face my day and equip for anything. And this is, as I said at the beginning, this has just been grown inside me, Pastor. It's just, you know, I, I started the first week of this year in this passion. I just have a passion to prove that the weapons of our warfare really do pull down strongholds. I I wanna see that. I wanna know that my armor is strong and stands against anything. I want the courage to go into the arena as we move into unreached tribes and situations and places of darkness around. I I wanna know my armor is strong, my authority is sure, and my weapons pull down strongholds to the glory of God. Because folks, um, heaven is where you and I are seated every day. Peace, perspective, and power. Earth is where we are assigned to love and serve people. And in between heaven and earth and the unseen realm, that's where the fight is. That's where the battle is. And because we share a seat in heaven with Jesus, He has delegated all of his authority to us to accomplish the work that he's left us to do. We are equipped. I love it. We are equipped. We are authorized. Friends, it's time to wrestle. It's time to wrestle. Just see what God will do in and through our lives. As we move forward in the full armor of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, praying for everyone. Amen, Amen. Pastor Gill, come on up.
1: I want you to stand with me this morning, if you will. So, one of the things that um, used to be a head scratcher for me when I would read it early on in my in my walk with Christ is Jesus saying these things that you've seen me do, you're going to do. In fact, you're going to do greater things. Now, when I read the Gospels, and I see the things Jesus did, I was just blown away that Jesus would make this promise that we were going to see greater things, even than that, those miracles that he had done, that the disciples are going, how how do you do that? And he said, you're going to do it because I go to the Father. And you're with me in the presence of God. And today, I just think it's important. We've been reminded that, again, that our victory is not from ourselves. We don't fight for for victory. We fight from a place and a point of victory in God and Christ. But it really begins with surrender of our hearts, surrender of our lives. So I love uh, Randy's illustration of the circle of surrender. And this morning, as we kind of wrap up, what I'd like to do is I'd like us all to build an imaginary circle around us this morning. Would you bow your heads and just think about you this morning having a uh, a circle that you're stepping on and stepping into. And the question is what is it that God would invite you to surrender today? What what is it? For some of you in the sound of my voice today, that surrender is you. That God may want you to just simply give yourself to him fully and completely with no hesitation, with no holds barred. God, I'm, I'm giving it all. I'm giving my life to you, my heart to you, uh, and, and everything that goes with it. For some of you, it is your family that you need to surrender. You've been holding on to ways that your family may not be living up to your standards. They may be disappointing you. Or maybe ways that you need God to step into a family member's life and just bring his grace to them. And you need to take your hands off of it and put God's hands on them. And we do that by surrender. Maybe for you, it's a relationship that has gotten out of control. That has become toxic. And God would say, surrender it to me today. Maybe it's your resources. Maybe it's your ambitions. Maybe it's your job. Some of us hold on and we get our identity from our job. Listen, when you know who you are and you know whose you are, you can move into the fight with confidence, as Randy said this morning. And God wants to give us that confidence. So would you just, in your way, offer to God a surrendered posture right now? Maybe it's Lifting your hands, turning your palms upward toward heaven. Um, maybe for you, it's just simply lifting your head toward heaven as a way of saying, God, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Maybe for you, you'd want a cradle in your hands cupped, that thing that you're holding onto that God's saying, let go. But today you're offering it to him. What in that circle do you need to surrender today? I don't know what it is, but you do, and God already does. I can tell you that. I've got to surrender to God the outcome of our prayer as a family right now. I have to trust God with it, that he will do what is in his goodness.
0: Thanks for listening.